Welcome to Pastor's Class, a Bible study program brought to you by Tim Say Ministries and Crossover Church. We pray this podcast will help enrich and strengthen your walk with Jesus Christ, and that it will lead you to read and study the scriptures more often. For more information about Tim Say Ministries and Crossover Church, please visit www.crossoverchurch.tv or give us a call at 301-927-5620. Are you truly here to worship? Is that why you're here? You're you're here to worship, amen? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Before we actually get into the teaching tonight, I just want us to pray for one more area, and that is Sunday, is our seed Sunday. Amen? So we want to take a moment to pray about that because One thing we know is that there are many things that we can put our money to, right? But God is not finished building his house. He's not finished with building his people. And he has a great, great work for us to do. Not only here in Hydesville, praise God, but in Odenton. And I don't know how many of you, how long you've been around, but I've been around forever (laughs) in this place is what I mean and we've always had a building fund and I can honestly say that in the beginning I didn't quite get it I didn't quite understand it but when I see what God did for us in getting that building it became so clear so clear. The vision that he's given our pastor to just always have a building fund. And there were moments where he actually called it a building funny. <laughs> and that was because the majority of the money that was going in, it wasn't because of contributions. But it was actually because of the way we were managing what came in and was allocating money to the building fund. But praise the Lord. We have definitely arisen over the years. And God has just done a great work. And we don't want to stop. Amen. We want to keep it going. Keep it going. So we're going to pray for Seed Sunday. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. God, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. God, we thank you, oh God, that all that we have belongs to you. So God, right now, in our humility, God, we ask you with a sincere heart, God, to show us how to respond on Sunday, God. Raise our faith, oh God, to a level like never before, God. Father God, we know you give seed to the sower, God, and we can all probably testify of what you have already put in our hands, God. So Lord, if you have to redirect, change our minds, change our hearts, God, we wanna give, oh God, like we've never given before. So just help us, oh God, to 
approach this Sunday, Lord, with hearts that are open, hearts that are pliable, hearts that are just willing to do what you have called us to do. And that is arise and sow a seed of faith that you will bless and that you will honor God. So Father, we just lift our hands right now. We lift them in surrender, God, but we also lift them so that you can put something in them, oh God. So Father God, with our hands lifted up, Lord, and our mouths filled with praise, oh God, we wanna bless your holy name. We love you, God. We appreciate you, God. We give you all the glory, God. And Father God, as we move into this new teaching, oh God, this new season, oh God, Father, we just pray that you will be glorified, that you and you alone will be lifted up, oh God. That Father, your vessels, myself and Minister Kim, Lord, that you will increase as we decrease, oh God, and that we too will be amazed, oh God, at what you're gonna do in us, through us, and to us, oh God. Father, we just love you, Lord. And we don't want it to be just lip service, God. We really do love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 My life is not my own, to you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. give ourselves to you tonight, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. So as Minister Ron has already informed you, we're beginning a new series of teachings tonight under the topic of a call to worship. Tell somebody a call to worship. So for the month of March, we will, I will be teaching the first two weeks and then Minister Kim will be teaching the following two weeks. But then we're gonna close out the month because we have five oh, Wednesdays this month with an evening of praise and worship. You don't wanna miss that, amen? And we're really believing that it's gonna be a time of prophetic worship. Hallelujah. As you all are aware, there are many things that are pulling at us on a daily basis, vying for our attention, right? Some are good things, some are not so good things. But I think we can all agree that they can be called distractions. Distractions, right? Tell your neighbor, distractions. Now, coupled with those distractions is also an unrest in the earth. 
But the unrest is actually being caused by God himself. And that's because he is actually trying to draw us to himself. But in response to this unrest, people are searching for peace. They're searching for peace and they're falling victim to many kinds of things. False teachings, cults, drugs, alcohol, illicit sex, porn, and I'm sure you could come up with a whole lot of other tricks of the enemy. But what they're doing is they're giving them false solutions to their unrest. And in the end, what we end up doing is we do what we were created to do. We were created to worship. But guess what? We're not necessarily worshiping the object of, of who we should be worshiping, amen? There is indeed a call to worship. I believe that. So we, I just want you all to understand that when we say a call to worship, we're talking about the one and only true and living God. And he's seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. He should be the object of our worship. So tonight, I have a plan. Our senior pastor has been teaching us, got to have a plan. <laughs> so my plan is to lay a foundation of basic truths regarding praise and worship, and then hopefully we will build from there. So let's begin. Now, most of the time when someone asks the question, what's the difference between praise and worship? The typical or usual, usual response is you praise him for what he's done and you worship him for who he is. You've heard that, right? <laughs> and while that statement has some element of truth, my goal is to help you see that praise and worship actually, they work together. They flow from one another. When it comes from a pure heart, a place of humility and sincerity, they feed off of one another, amen? amen? So, when you praise God, you're celebrating God for his goodness towards you. And this should create in you a desire to trust him more, to serve him more, to be more obedient to his word, and so on and so on. And in a nutshell, what this should do is paint a picture of someone whose very lifestyle is one of worship. In other words, Praise and worship should not just be about what we do, but it should actually be a reflection of and a flow out of your relationship with the Almighty God. Amen. So now the first thing I want us to do is look at praise and give you the definition. Now Webster says that praise is, number one, to commend the worth of, Number two, to express approval or admiration of. And number three, to laud the glory of, as in song and singing. So number one, let's look at commending. Commending. To commend someone is to put in the care of another, in trust. Or to mention as worthy of attention, recommend. Therefore, 
Praising God by commendation means that we entrust ourselves to his care and we recommend that others do the same. So as an example, I want to give you a few scriptures. You don't have to turn to them. I'm going to read them to you in the version that I pulled them from, okay? Because it's, it's four. We got a lot to do tonight. <laughs> so first there's Psalm 7-1, and it says, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. That's King James. Psalm 9 and 10. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. That's the New American Standard. Psalm 16, verse 1. says, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. King James. And then the last one is Psalm 20, verse 7. And it says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's NIV. Amen? We trust in the name of the Lord our God. People put their trust in a whole lot of things. And chariots, that sounds like a sturdy thing. Horses, it can carry you. But putting your trust in the Lord our God, that's the utmost. Amen? Amen. The second definition, expressing approval. To approve of someone is to have or express a favorable opinion of him or to show esteem. At the heart of this expression of praise is personal experience. Personal experience. So again, the Psalms contains numerous examples of personal expressions of approval toward God, but I'm only going to look at two. And this is the psalmist David speaking. Psalm 59, 16. It says, But as for me, I shall sing of your strength. Yes, I shall sing of your loving kindness in the morning. For you have been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my stress, distress. David had an experience with God. So he could speak to God being his stronghold and being his refuge. Because David had some distressful days. Amen. Psalm 63, verse 1 and 2 says, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Again, personal experience. Praise by approving is turning our thoughts toward God and remembering how he has won our acclaim. It is reciting the wonder of who he is and how he has made a difference in our life and in the life of others. So that's expressing approval. Number three, glorifying. To glorify someone is to bestow honor, praise, or admiration. In other words, 
Giving glory to someone specifically identifies what is admirable in the person. And again, there are many scriptures with this type of praise. For example, God is good, Psalm 34 and 8. God is faithful, Psalm 33 and 4. God is righteous, Psalm 11, 7. God is just, 2 Chronicles 12 and 6. And God is merciful and forgiving, Daniel 9 and 9. This is just to name a few, of course. <laughs> but there is one scripture that I want us to turn to, Psalm 103. And if you have it in the NIV, that would be great. <laughs> but if not, we'll manage. But Psalm 103 is a, is a great example of scripture that glorifies God for many praiseworthy benefits of knowing him. Not just knowing about him, but knowing him. I first want us to turn, let's start at verse 3, okay? So verse 3, what do we see? God forgives our sin. Are you glad about it tonight? Yes. That he forgives, gives your sins? Hallelujah. Verse 3 also says he heals our diseases. We are grateful for doctors, but God can heal our diseases. Our pastor also likes to read, uh, read that word like this, diseases. How many times have you been not at ease? It's diseases. I love that. Verse 4, he redeems our life. We have redeemed, been redeemed from the pit of hell. God did that, amen? amen. Also in verse 4, he crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. Oh, my goodness. Loving kindness and compassion. How many times have you encountered people who don't extend love to you or compassion to you, but our God crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. That's something to be excited about. Verse five, he satisfies us with good things, not just things, but good things. <laughs> Verse eight, he is slow to anger. That's a blessing to know that God is slow to anger because I know, I know, you all may not agree, but I know that I do plenty of things that can cause God to be angry with me. But he is slow to anger. Verse 9, he does not always accuse. Hallelujah. How many of you have been accused? Rather justly or unjustly? You don't want to be accused. Also in verse 9, he does not keep his anger forever. So not only is he slow to anger, but he doesn't hold on to it. You know if it was us, we'd hang on to it forever, right? <laughs> we can be some very unforgiving people. He does not treat us as our sin deserves. Verse 10, and that is a reason to shout. He does not treat us as our sin deserves deserves. And then verse 12, he removes our transgressions from us. Now, I don't know about you, but Psalm 103, that is worth celebrating. Amen? Amen. Let's give God some praise. Let's give him some glory. 
That is worth celebrating. You should meditate on that scripture every day. <laughs> and you all know Psalms is the largest book in the Bible, and that's not by accident, I don't believe, I believe. It's the longest book of the Bible, and it's, uh, it's that way, I believe, for a purpose, because God created us to praise him and to worship him. Amen, amen. Now, I want to give you three characteristics of praise, just three. Not saying that it's all-inclusive. The first one is praise puts God in first place. Praise puts God in first place. Praise is always turning our attention from ourselves to God. It's remembering and recounting who he is and what he's done instead of focusing on ourselves. And if we were to be real honest, we would have to admit that we are incredibly self-absorbed, self-centered people. Amen? Our focus is almost always on how something affects us or how someone affects us because we're self-centered. Praise helps us to focus our thoughts on his majesty and his power, and it invites others to do the same. So praise puts God in first place, where he belongs. Secondly, praise flows from our friendship with God. It flows from our friendship with God. People who praise God regularly are able to do so because they spent time with him. They spent time getting to know him, getting to know his true nature and his character. Even if your praise starts out from what you know about him, at some point it should progress to what you yourself have experienced of him. See, if you were to try to brag about someone that you didn't know personally, then your praise of them would probably lack sincerity, right? However, praise that flows from a deep relationship with God will be genuine and true. So praise flows from our friendship with God. And then the third one, praise is a conscious choice. Praise is a conscious choice. Praise is an act of your will. When you offer God true praise, you are making a conscious decision to commend, to approve, and to glorify him. With that, praise should not be based on your feelings or your emotions. <laughs> because the reality is this. You don't have to feel great. You don't have to feel good. You don't even have to feel okay to give God some praise. But what you should do is praise him in spite of how you feel. Because how you feel doesn't change the facts. And the fact is, he's worthy to be praised. So praise is a conscious choice. Now I want us to look at the definition of worship. Now, some of you may recall 
that there was a series of teachings that we did some months ago, I think it was back in the summer, and it was called the Purity Series. And in that series, I had done a teaching on purity and worship. And so from that teaching, I had given the definition of worship. So we're just going to look at that again. So if you were here then, it'll just be a refresher. But if you weren't here, you need to get the CD. <laughs> definition of worship. I have a, a Hebrew word. It means shaha, or some say shaka. And it means to bow down, prostrate, stoop, crouch, and beseech humbly. That Hebrew word is used 172 times in the Old Testament. And the Greek word is proskuneo, and it means to prostrate, do abeyance to. And in the Greek, it means to kiss towards. And the Greek word is used 59 times in the New Testament. And also in that teaching, I had given you all a practical definition of worship. And so let's uh, go ahead and revisit that. The first definition is a God-given instinct. Worship is a God-given instinct. Genesis 1.27 states that God created us in his own image. Therefore, we have within us the capacity to not only know God, but the instinct that we should worship him. So worship is a God-given instinct. Number two, worship is the reason he set us free. The reason he set us free. After the fall of Adam and Eve, God had to provide us with, the freedom, with freedom by sending his son, Jesus, to re redeem us back to himself. The fall actually caused us to be enslaved to sin from birth. His desire was for us to worship. But worship cannot occur unless there's freedom. Because when you're in bondage, and I mean bondage to anything, you can't worship. And when we speak of bondage, we're not necessarily talking about physically being bound. But we're speaking of your spirit man being bound. So bondage to anything will hinder you from worshiping the almighty God. So it is the reason he set us free so that we may worship him. Number three, it is our response to the revelation of who God is. It is our response to the revelation of who God is. Once you get a revelation of God and who he is to you, you can't help but respond by worshiping him. And it's this definition that actually causes us to see where praise and worship really connect. Because your revelation of God, of who God is to you, ultimately should cause you to respond. And how do you respond? Well, you could respond with thanksgiving. That being the case, then thanksgiving is really a type of worship. You could respond in obedience then obedience is a type of worship. You could respond by trust, then that's a form of worship. 
You could respond by serving. That's worship to God. You could respond by giving, paying your tithes, your offering. Tithing is a command of the word of God. That's worship. So, of course, it makes sense then. If you respond in praise, commending, approval, and glorifying, then guess what? Praise really is a form of worship. So they work together. They flow from one another. And we need to understand how we're made. We're tripartite beings. We're made up of body, soul, and spirit. And as New Testament believers, the spirit of God lives in us, and it should be our God, right? So with that being said, the flow of worship should actually begin in your spirit man. The spirit man causes your soul to feel it, and then your body acts it out. Amen? Whether that's with lifting of your hands, clapping, singing, dancing, falling, bowing, whatever that may be. But it's got to begin in the inner man. The more intimate your relationship with God, the more your, the more your worship will begin in your inner man, your spirit man. And when the spirit flows through us back to God, that's when we should experience worship at a priceless level. And when something is priceless, that means it's extremely valuable. When you can't put a price on something, that makes it valuable. So, the um, worship is a God-given instinct, the reason he set us free, and a revelation of who God is. Amen? Amen. 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 God is good. <laughs> so now, I can get into the main teaching. <laughs> and that is tonight, the main thing I want us to look at tonight is creating an atmosphere of worship. Creating an atmosphere of worship. And I really do want to encourage you to get that other teaching because I also, in that teaching, gave seven characteristics of a true worshiper. And I think you'll be able to see just how everything builds on one another. Amen? Okay. Creating an atmosphere of worship. Whether you believe it or not, we are capable of controlling our atmosphere to a great degree. Therefore, doing what is necessary to create an atmosphere of worship is going to require from us a conscious effort and a willing heart. We, as children of God, must be willing to make ourselves vulnerable before, before God if we want to experience worship at a new level. <clears throat> so, the, this atmosphere of worship, it has to begin in us. It has to begin in our hearts, hearts that are pure, because that's where our treasure is, amen? That's where we put significance and importance. It's in our hearts. So now we're going to look at essentials to building an atmosphere of worship. Essentials to building an atmosphere of worship. The first essential we're going to look at is godly habits. 
Tell your neighbor, godly habits. Godly habits can build a dwelling place of God's presence. The first aspect of godly habits that I'm going to talk about tonight is consistent behavior. Let's turn to Romans chapter 4, verse 20. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter, verse, chapter 4, verse 20, if you're there, say amen. 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 And this section of scripture is actually talking about Abraham. And it says, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Abraham was consistent. He was consistent in his view of God. And we must be consistent in our view of God. Because this consistency can establish a building process that prepares our temple, our temple of worship. And when I say consistency in behavior, I'm talking about how we think, how we process life, how we process the things of God. So we must have a consistent view of God. We as Christians must come to a place of trusting in the God we serve. In other words, we cannot be fickle. Do you know what fickle means? Unstable. Unstable. Believing one minute that he'll do what he says and then the next minute you're ready to give up. And I know even tonight when we were prayer, I was back in the chapel and we, we did confession. My time was literally spent saying, God, I don't want to be a fickle Christian. I don't want to believe that God can keep me in my marriage, but he can't keep me in my finances or that God can keep me on my job, but he can't use me in the gifts that he's given me. I don't want to be fickle. I don't want to be up and down, up and down. You know, not, not totally trusting him. I don't want to believe his word one day and then doubting it the next. We cannot be fickle. This is not consistency. We can also not be fuzzy in who God is. We have to be very, very clear on who he is, his very nature, and his character. It is, that is not consistent behavior when you're fuzzy about who God is. This is going to affect your worship of God. And not only that, it's going to cause you to start worshiping the promise or the things that you desire from him. And we don't ever want to get to that place where we're worshiping what we can get or what we desire. They may even be things that he's promised us, but we don't want to worship that and stop worshiping God. Amen? Amen. So godly behavior. Secondly, I want to look at building wisely or foolishly. Let's look at Luke 
chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And we're going to start at verse 46. Luke chapter 6. If you're there, say amen. amen. And it reads, And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock. And when a flood rose, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house upon the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. Can you imagine a house not being, being built with no foundation? I mean, a weak foundation is one thing, but no foundation? <laughs> so not only should our thoughts be consistent, but our conduct must be consistent. And the reason our conduct should be consistent is because we're being watched. We're being watched. We're being watched by God, of course. We're being watched by the people of God, and we're being watched by the world. In other words, you cannot say one thing, but do the t something totally opposite. We're talking about creating an atmosphere of worship, right? How many members of the praise team are here tonight? Amen. 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 Praise God. <laughs> Could be more, but... I'm grateful. <laughs> we are talking about worship, right? <laughs> well, what I want to encourage you guys in is this. When you stand before a congregation, you're in a position of leadership. You're leading others into worship before God. And whether you believe it or not, you're actually verbalizing your relationship with God. You're verbalizing your relationship with God for all to see and all to hear. So, your behavior during your daily, everyday walk had better line up. Because if it doesn't, God is not going to be pleased. And he's not going to put up with it. <laughs> the words that you sing on the stage in church should line up with your actions that come forth as you walk the stage of life. There are two stages. There's the literal stage, and then your life is a stage, and it should add up. But you know what? Even with me telling you that, that really shouldn't be your motivation. Your motivation should be your love for God and your relationship. Because guess what? We're all children of the king. And children of the king act a certain way. 
We can't act like the world acts. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Amen? Amen. Building wisely. That should be our goal. Number three. The builder is greater than the building. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter three. Hebrews chapter three. And we're gonna start at verse one. We're gonna go through verse to verse six. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope, of our hope firm until the end. In order for our temples to be built properly, we must allow the greatest builder of all to build it, and that's Jesus. So our thoughts must be on him. Because here's the reality. If you don't allow Jesus to build your temple, Satan will. He will take every opportunity that you give him to add a pebble here, a stone there, a rock here, a rock there. He's going to take it. And when Satan gets through with you, you will realize that you haven't been built up at all. But rather you've been torn down. And we want to be built up. Jesus is in the building business. Hallelujah. <laughs> Satan is in the tearing down business. And he camouflages things. He can make you think you're being built up by some of the things that he has you doing. But like I said, in the end, you'll, you'll see that you really have been worn down, torn down, beat down. Hallelujah. So we have got to honor the builder, Jesus. We must be faithful servants of God, which results in us becoming holy habitations for the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's our goal, to become holy habitations for the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at essential number two. Building a corporate environment for a habitation of God in the spirit. Establishing corporate order and participation is essential to building a habitation of God in the spirit. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter four. And we're gonna start at verse 11. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. I need to hurry up. <laughs> if you're there, say amen. amen. Okay, we're going to read. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, the first point that we looked at Godly behavior, it focused primarily on the building up of our individual temples. But now we're going to focus on the corporate building. That's us, the body of believers. We as the body of believers, we must first be unified. We must be on one accord. There can be no, no division because a house divided against itself cannot stand. Amen? Not only must we be unified, but we must be supportive each ministry being supportive of one another. And I, when I think of this, I can't help but think of uh, the project that we've been doing for the past two years, which is the Christmas store. Our Christmas store was actually birthed from one ministry, Sister Mona and the single moms. But that Christmas store could not be effective. It could not have the impact that it had on our community if all of our ministries didn't come together and support one another. Amen? Amen? We must also be equipped with tools that when they're put together, they fit, they work together for the glory of God. In this house, I am so thankful that whenever a pastor, a minister, a deacon, whoever gets up in this pulpit or in a classroom or wherever, and they teach from the word of God, they are equipping us, amen? And they're equipping, equipping us to do the work of service. See, we can't do all the same things because we all have unique functions and responsibilities. And we can't reach our full potential in God by just building up our individual mansions or our individual domains, but the body of Christ's effectiveness is only going to be seen as we come together to form a strong house for the Lord, the army of the Lord. We are the army of the Lord. Amen? Amen. And now our last essential, building an environment of worship. Let's turn to Isaiah real quick. Isaiah. Isaiah 6. 
verse 1 through 4. It says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Let's also turn to Ezekiel 43, verse 5. And it reads, And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. Isaiah and Ezekiel were men that I admired. They were desperately, they desperately wanted to know God. They worshiped him and him alone, and they served him with all their hearts. And because of their desperation, because of their vulnerability, they were willing to receive all that God had to offer. And so God gave them himself. He revealed himself to them. They chose to build an environment that welcomed the very presence of God. And God can do that for us today. But it's up to us. God revealed himself for a purpose. Everything that God does is for a purpose. And it's for an eternal purpose. And when he reveals himself to us, it will also be for an eternal purpose. That should be our desire, to have God reveal himself like never before. Let's look at one last scripture. Well, actually, it's not the last one. Revelation 4. Revelation chapter 4. And it's verse 8. Revelation chapter 4, verse 8 through 11, it says, And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him, who sits on a throne, who sits on the throne to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy art thou our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power for thou didst create all things, and because of thy will, they existed and were created. God reveals the throne of heaven. And we should strive to experience this type of atmosphere or environment, because then and only then will we experience worship at a greater height than ever before.
in order for this to occur, we must think of ourselves as heavenly tabernacles of worship. We have to see ourselves as heavenly tabernacles of worship. Because after all, we do house the Holy Spirit, right? Hallelujah. Secondly, and lastly, the earth as an environment of worship. We want to look at the earth as an environment of worship. Habakkuk. That's Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, and I'll just go ahead and read it. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The day will come when the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God and it will become a place of worship. The whole earth will be shouting. The whole earth will be singing. The whole earth will be praising our God. The whole earth will be making a joyful noise to the Lord. Hallelujah. Psalm 66, 1 and 2 says, Shout joyfully to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. And those of us who belong to him and are in the earth, we are going to be the ones making the glorious praises. Hallelujah. 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 Ephesians 1, verse 11 and 12 says, In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. This is why we were chosen before the foundation of the earth. It is our destiny to praise the Lord. We are for his glory not our glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. So as I close, I'd like to just close with this. Our wills dictate whether or not we will worship God to the degree that he deserves. And that's because we do have the capacity to create the proper atmosphere that is welcoming the Holy Spirit. This begins in us as individuals, then as a body of believers, so that ultimately we see the whole earth as a place of worship. We have to be intentional. We have to be conscientious. We need to make it our business to create an atmosphere of worship. First, starting with your individual temple, so that wherever you go, you will be the catalyst to the, your surroundings also being a place of worship. You can change the atmosphere. We can change the atmosphere individually and corporately. So let's just do it, amen? Amen. amen. Hallelujah, let's stand. 
Thank you for listening to Pastor's Class. We hope you enjoyed this program. For more messages and Bible study teachings, please visit www.crossoverchurch.tv or give us a call at 301-927-5620. If you live in the D.C., Maryland, or Virginia area, come visit us at our home location, 5340 Baltimore Avenue, Hyattsville, Maryland, 20781. Pastor's Class is a weekly Bible study that occurs Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. at our home location. We would love for you to join us. May God bless you and guide you as you continue to study to show thyself approved in the grace of Christ Jesus.